that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interrupt. Hello and welcome to the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia-Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and today we are coming to you to talk about a very special moment in Pumpkin's history, the Arising Tour from 1999. Correct. And joining us today to talk about the Arising Tour and even about Darcy's exit is Karen Cooper. You might know her from the Chicklet Pod. Karen Cooper, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Pretty good. It is a hot day here. <laughs> where Where are you located? Uh, I live in North Carolina. Ah, oh yeah, right on the coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Uh, well, thank you, Karen, so much for joining us uh, to talk about the Arising Tour and about Darcy's exit. Uh, before we get started, what is your history with the Pumpkins? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me on, by the yeah, way. Of Absolutely. Well, so I'm a little bit, I guess, a little bit removed from your typical pumpkin head generation. Uh, my sister, uh, I have this sort of blended family situation. My sister is about 15 years older than I am. So she was a teenager in the 90s. And when I was younger, I think my one of my earliest memories is staying with her at her college apartment and seeing the giant Tonight Tonight single poster in her living mm-hmm. room. <laughs> uh, and that was so she was sort of my gateway into listening to the pumpkins. And then I think when I was around 11 or 12, she made me a mix CD. It was either her or her husband of just kind of random Smashing Pumpkin songs spanning from Siamese Dream through Adore. There was some off of Melancholy. Um, and I probably played that out until I like ruined it on my little Sony Walkman <laughs> personal <laughs> CD player. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that she was sort of my, I always credit her with my, my music taste because um, even though I didn't really get into the the pumpkins until I they were already broken up that <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was such a an awakening moment for me because I was like wow this music is so different than anything that I've ever heard before and it was so familiar but yet different and and new and just I don't know it it really kind of encompasses a lot of my childhood <laughs> some of my best memories are tied up in smashing pumpkin songs Mm -hmm. that's awesome us too yeah it's interesting too because we've talked to we were kind of um i guess on the younger side of of sort of like witnessing them sort of happen live in the 90s you know but 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 we did you know like i feel like i was i got plugged into them at a young age nine or ten like as siamese you know like i remember disarm was like the first song that i got into but it's interesting to hear We've talked to a couple people who are a little younger than us and who got into them sort of post first breakup. And it's really interesting to just get confirmation that there is like something about the band that wasn't just kind of the 90s zeitgeist of the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's something obviously kind of lasting about or, 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 you know, something that isn't like um, 
it's sort of removed from their their time in history you know what i mean like it doesn't yeah. just sound like everything that, it doesn't scream 90s necessarily yeah exactly it's such a blend of and i didn't realize it until i got much older but my you know my parents would my dad would play boston and stuff in the car and <laughs> thinking about all those those 70s bands and how much they influenced you know billy and his music and his songwriting it, it mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense it's sort of just a blending of several different decades and he's always he's never been afraid to like push to the next level mm -hmm. and it's that's i think that's what makes it so special for me mm -hmm. yeah is there a particular song or album that stands out for you i definitely i think probably my favorite favorite song is starla which is of course off of Pisces Iscariot mm -hmm. and that was one of I remember it was the last song on that mix CD that I had growing up and I I remember thinking when is this song gonna end you know because I hadn't really grown up listening to jam bands or anything like that so and it was so just like the driving and that that little riff coming in and how it's so quiet and almost a little bit grungy in that way where it's like the quiet soft yeah. um dynamic uh but i remember <laughs> i was so dramatic i was like i i wanted to be so different you know i was a dramatic little middle schooler i told my mom i was like mom if i was a country this would be my national anthem and she was like <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's i mean you raise a good point an interesting point about the jam band thing because like i i I feel like this is probably the jammiest band that I'm into now that you mentioned yeah. that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I never listened to jam bands either, but um, they're, they're um, and we've kind of talked about this before, how like Nirvana say, who is, you know, I think like in my, for my money, like they're both up there as kind of two of the like biggest, but also kind of best bands in the nineties, just in terms of like artistic, artistically speaking, they come from such a kind of punk background, you know, like quick, fast, like loud. Um, and, and even though Nirvana and the pumpkins were like contemporaries, they did not, they didn't, I feel like they didn't listen to the same stuff growing up necessarily, probably some Definitely of it, but not. like the, the, the seventies rock stuff, which I didn't even know about, at the time I was getting into the pumpkins had so much more of a, you know, just the, yeah, it's interesting to think of like, just the jam band thing got me thinking like, Oh yeah, this is like probably the jammiest stuff <laughs> that I listened to. I had a moment with my husband the other day where we were talking about um, the dead and how I was like, I don't think I've ever listened to a grateful dead song. And he was like, you've heard a grateful dead song. And I was like, I really don't think I have. And he sat down and he played, you know, some of their most popular songs for me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, nope, haven't heard that one. Haven't heard that one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's like, I can't believe you avoided it all this time. It's it's easy to, I feel like you're either into it. You're either like, I, I have to, the only, I mean, not the only song I have. I have tried to listen. To, I have like out of like a scholarly feeling of like, okay, this is like a big band. A lot of people care a lot about it. I got to like, know a little bit about them but <laughs> touch of gray is the most that's like kind of my favorite song it's like the poppiest it's yeah. the biggest hit that's i the love MTV the video one. with the yeah. skeletons mm -hmm. and that's kind okay. of the depth of my um the Pretty depth of my deadhead um knowledge yeah. i recently found out not to 
go on a tangent, but um, I recently found out that Courtney Love's parents were their tour managers. What? And she grew up going, like, she was basically a deadhead as a child because she had to be, because <laughs> her parents were their tour managers. Oh, Jesus. That's both surprising and also kind of makes a lot of sense. When, it oh, yeah. it when you hear definitely that. made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, pumpkins are definitely the jammiest, maybe, but I, I guess I'm into King Crimson and like uh, Tool a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a huge Tool fan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they they can go on jams, especially sure. live, um, which they're amazing live. Um, and that's on my bucket list. I would love to see. Oh them man, live. I I finally pulled the trigger because I was like, hey, I don't know, but I when they toured a couple of years ago, I finally put the money in to see them, and it was worth it. It was totally worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I who else? Uh, like Genesis, like Genesis, early Genesis, mm-hmm. I'm like really into as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the pumpkins, there's something about like their jamminess that I just like really just love, especially live. And I think I only kind of came around to that in my later years mm-hmm. um, right. rather than when I was younger, um, you know, as far as like the silver fuck stuff and even like the stuff during this tour. Have have you actually seen the pumpkins live? I have not. Oh, man. Um, I <laughs> I wanted to, I think, I forget which tour it was, probably would have been about 10 years ago, but I was so excited because they were coming to town. And then my sister was like, can you babysit for us so we can go see the Smashing Pumpkins? And I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't say no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I would really like to see them um, live, especially now that um, they've got James and Jimmy back. And yeah. Because I think that tour may have been the tour that Billy did without either one of them. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was just him and Jimmy. I can't remember. Ten but. years ago was probably, yeah, definitely not James yet. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully you'll get, we'll all get a chance in the not too distant future. Yeah, ten years ago, I think they were, it was the Oceania era. Mm. So I think, yeah, that was with Nicole and Mike uh, who were in the band. Or it might have been after that when... Uh, Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine was drumming and they had uh, different people sitting in. Oceania sounds probably correct. Yeah, yeah, so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, We're talking about the Arising Tour that happened in 1999. So the way this is going to work is there were nine shows that took place during this tour. Uh, We obviously are not going to be covering every single show going through every track. So (laughs) what we have decided ahead of time is that we would listen to the first show and listen to the last show of this tour. And uh, we just talk about some highlights, some stuff we liked, uh, any observations that we had. So, um, yeah. Uh, Pat, uh, do you want to read uh, what SP Codex... Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, we want to give a thanks to xpcodex.wiki and spfc.org for all the information, but also congratulations to SP Codex for over a year of supplying Smashing Pumpkins information that we have relied very heavily on. Yeah, we use it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so congrats to them. Thank you for all the, the work that you put in that could help us do these episodes. Uh, but what does SP Codex define the Arising Tour as, Pat? Webster's Dictionary defines the Arising Tour <laughs> 
as a nine-date tour of small U.S. clubs played while the Smashing Pumpkins took a break from recording Machina, The Machines of God, Machina One. Fittingly, the tour debuted numerous Machina-era songs. So they, we're, you know, we were talking about how that is kind of something um, you don't really see anymore because of, of, you know, bootlegging and the internet, like bands playing a whole slew of new stuff before it's released because it'll just be put out there. So this was sort of right on the cusp of when you could still do that um the shows for the most part had the same set list opening with i am one and ending with today and the first set with three encores usually concluding with geek usa and of course at this time this was the you know the tour that reintroduced jimmy chamberlain um to the band and it of course was sort of a little golden moment where all four original members were back um at its conclusion, bassist Darcy decided to leave the band with intentions of pursuing an acting career. And Queens of the Stone Age opened for them on this tour. Released uh, in, you know, a little baby, little baby band called Queens of the Stone Age. Just yeah, they were coming just off their out. first album. Great. So uh, the way we're going to dive into this is let's just go ahead and talk about some highlights. Anything that you really enjoyed or noticed from this first show and last show? I I really um, love the kind of heavy version of Ava Adore. Do you guys say Ava Adore or? We said Ava, but yeah. Ava, okay. But I might have been, you know, you know how like for years you can sort of say, like I always said Siva too until I heard Billy say it out loud until, you know. I actually said Siva until I listened to your Gish episode and then I was like, oh, it's Shiva. Well, I think (laughs) we had just heard Billy say it that way on some. Uh, I think our Gish episode was timed well because I think we recorded it right after he did his, Billy did his Gish deep dive. dive. Mm -hmm. So we were able to Mm -hmm. sort of just slide right in there when the knowledge was hot. Um, but yeah, I love the, I love the sort of really, really heavier version of Eva Adore. I, that song has always been, (laughs) you know, when you get into the pumpkins as, as an 11 or 12 year old, and then you hear Eva Adore, you're like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) what is this? Um, and the, that sort of electronic beat that's driving it is, it's not as much there, but I love the, that he really gets into his growling and 
it's it's a much much heavier distortion mm -hmm. i think yeah and also the premiere of stand inside your love So what about that? Uh, what what resonated to you, or like, what stood out to you about hearing the crowd react to that, or knowing that this was the first time that this was being heard live? It's so funny because having been to a lot of shows where bands will test out their new material, it's always sort of a mixed reaction uh, when they start playing it. You can sort of hear the crowd thinking, oh, what is this song? Have we heard this before? And then at the end, there's just sort of, woohoo, you know, it's right. it's not that, it's not that bringing down the house of the the today riff or something, right. you know? Um, but I, I always like when bands do that um, personally, even though it's, you know, it's a lot of people's excuse to go get another beer, but. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I, hearing the crowd react to it, I was, I was thinking to myself, man, I've been there, you know, you're, you're just so unsure and you're like, what, what is happening right now? <laughs> I know it's so hard because it's going to a con like, you know, I definitely don't agree when people are like, just shut up and play the hits, you know, like I, that's not yeah. any way to be, you know, like you got to do new stuff. You got to try, you got to play it at some point. But that said, going to a con the, you know, the best feeling of being at a concert is like seeing someone you love knowing the words you know anticipating this uh, or, or you hear the song and it's like oh i love this song so but you can you can hear in some of these recordings of the shows are like soundboard recordings but some are just fan bootlegs you can really hear mm -hmm. that chitter chatter of people be, and you could hear people yelling like Siamese dream requests over the new stuff <laughs> you know repeatedly a lot of people are just sort of like geek usa you know like it so it's yeah it is interesting because you're right it's not it wasn't like um an overwhelming you know uproarious response to the new stuff and i i feel that a lot because you as a fan of a band especially when you're a super fan of a band you want to be happy for them and you want to be excited about the new stuff and i think that people the people who are excited for the the pumpkins to do new things and who stuck with them through a door are the, the people who, you know, just really love the band themselves. But I, I, I understand when people are, you know, something really resonates with them and then they don't really feel the same way about the next step in that person's career. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, I mean, to me, if you're not growing as an artist, then you're probably not going to be happy and you're not going to have, the longevity of a career that you know Billy has and the Pumpkins have. Mm -hmm. So it's it's such a hard line to straddle as a fan to be like, oh, I really want to hear them play this other thing that I've always wanted to hear live. But mm -hmm. got to be happy for them to push through and 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 make new strides. You mm -hmm. know. Yeah, and I don't know if it's hindsight for me, or maybe the fact that I uh, was just like really 
taking time to like I would sit down and listen to these live tracks with no interruptions, but trying to put myself in that situation. I'm very jealous that I I mean this these this tour was nowhere near me. Um which by the way, the tour dates were 410 uh, 99 Detroit, Michigan at St. Andrews Hall, 412 99 Cincinnati, Ohio at Bogarts, 414 99 at New York, uh, in New York City at Tramps, 415 99 Washington, D.C., 930 Club, 417 99 Pittsburgh, PA, uh, Metropole, which we actually have a listener um, story about mm-hmm. this show in particular that we'll get to later uh for 1999 denver colorado ogden theater 421 99 phoenix arizona celebrity theater 423rd 99 san diego california spreckles theater and 424 99 west hollywood california the roxy the roxy maybe uh but i yeah it's, i love yeah so uh i was very jealous i didn't get to see any of these shows um but listening to these especially stand inside your love i'm glad that you mentioned that karen because it's one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time and i was like trying to imagine like i would a lot of these machina songs just hearing them live i would have lost my fucking mind you Mm -hmm. know you know like especially after stand inside your love when it finishes being like what did i just witness this is amazing i would have like been shaking i think uh mm-hmm. and especially hearing some of these versions early versions of the song uh that are a little bit different than what ended up being recorded but yeah i i, I get how like people and i would be that person too sometimes it shows being like i don't know what this is i'm not excited but there is a certain thing about that song or some of the songs on Machina that just like really grabbed me and I wonder how I would have reacted in the moment but listening to it now it felt very exciting to me mm-hmm. mm. I think there's you know a lot of times when new songs debut at a at a concert I can't always hear the lyrics obviously yeah. because you know especially if you're on the you know in the nosebleed section um, but to me I think Smashing Pumpkins has never been as much about the lyrics to me, which is weird because as a songwriter, I generally start with lyrics and a melody and I, then I, you know, build the rest of the song through it. But for the pumpkins, it was always sort of more about working backwards. It was, I would hear this song and I would experience an emotion and especially with staying inside your love. It's such a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the lyrics are really important, but I, I think had I, there are some songs where I hear them live for the first time and I think, eh, I'd like to hear the lyrics. And then I, I don't think this would be the case. I would, I would like to think it wouldn't be the case for me, but I was six when this tour happened. Oh, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting about Stand Inside Your Love because I feel like even though, because there are in the whole Machina one and two saga, there are some sort of jammier ones that are like not pop, you know, there's like less of mm-hmm. a, less to hook you in like upon first listen first hearing it especially live but stand inside your love definitely i could see hearing that that has like the makings of kind of a single you know which it was like Mm -hmm. it's 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 very catchy but um just lyrically karen you were talking about like how the lyrics um you know are not necessarily the first thing that hooks you in or that you can kind of get emotionally invested in a song without even knowing what the lyrics are. I totally mm-hmm. feel that with with the Pumpkins. I mean, we've used like Cocteau Twins as an example many times where they mm-hmm. like 
their music can be super evocative emotionally and they often just use kind of a made-up gibberish language that kind of sounds like words so it's it but but learning a little bit more about through doing this pro this podcast like billy's process he has said um and i think some lyrics even change like from these versions you hear on this tour he kind yeah. of like sometimes take sort of a freestyle approach where it's sort of and you could hear it in early versions of things where the lyrics are almost secondary you know that, that where mm -hmm. they change and it's sort of their their placeholders at first um yeah it's i just find that very interesting as someone who isn't a songwriter you kind of think of um these you think of songs as these kind of you know like carved into tablets like these kind of like it's songs you love as mm. these sort of untouchable things that kind of just you know come to you like in this perfect form but it's it's been really interesting hearing the the process like it's you know billy has more in common with jay-z it seems like in the studio <laughs> than you would think you know and i'm sure yeah. a lot of people do you know but even with like some of the older songs like today like at this time they were kind of reimagining some of their songs like rocket uh, and especially during the uh -huh. door era, they were really messing with the arrangements and stuff. But in this one, particularly today, uh, oh, felt yeah. really kind of cool. I, I kind of like that version. Yeah. Karen, you mentioned like the just as an example of like to the opening riff of today being a moment that would surely like bring down the house for people, you know, everybody, whether or not they're interested in new stuff. But at this point, and I remember hearing this on like the, you know, Machina tour as well. And I think even by Adore, they definitely by the Adore tour, they were like sort of, I don't know, like down tune. They were rearranging their hits in a way that would almost be bury the lead it would like bury that that moment of recognition you know what i mean like they yeah. the way they played today on this tour and then the, they also change it like going forward it it's like they went out of the way to avoid that um you know that opening riff that like super recognizable opening riff that every but you know it's one of the like i it's one of the handful of little riffs i can like tinker through on guitar but you know what i mean like they were deliberately avoiding that moment it seems yeah i i actually when i said that i thought to myself well you know they didn't play it that way on this tour mm -hmm. um i think it's from the i think I, I listened to a lot of the phoenix show as well as the first and last because i thought that was like one of the more interesting ones where they had some some different yeah. directions they went um but the the, the opening of today during the phoenix show you can hear the guy who's recording it go is this today i think this is today <laughs> mm -hmm. and it, but it's you know because you it's not the same thing as you've heard i really like it, the sort of dressing down that they yeah. did mm -hmm. um 
for that song, which, like you said, I think they played it similarly on the Adore yeah. tour. But mm-hmm. the it's Phoenix fun. show is is particularly interesting because they they played an extra song. Uh, they played. That's the only show that they played 's a fun show too because when they're setting up for the encore they're being very playful and they uh play a little bit of Pearl Jams alive a little bit of smells like teen spirit yes. a little bit of celebrity skin and they're kind of taking the piss out mm-hmm. of Courtney love on, about Vanity Fair <laughs> and they even uh, tease quiet and then Billy's like telling James he's like I oh, know we don't play that anymore <laughs> so uh, we're gonna go back to another old record. Uh, this comes from our album 10. It's called Jeremy. I know there was a lot of turmoil during this tour. Uh, and we've heard certain stories about this tour, but it the sense that you get on stage, even when the show that there was an issue at, um, which was uh, the, uh, which one was it? The um, Pittsburgh show. Pittsburgh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even then, it still felt like there was this, I, I love the pumpkins when they're like, I don't know, James gets to be dry and humorous and they're, everybody seems to be like in good spirits joking, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And I, it seems to me overall, despite the kind of dark cloud that's over it, that there were some good times on this and especially the shows, the banter just seemed really uh, fun and interesting to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Especially during, like you mentioned that the setup for the encore where you can hear Darcy talking and, 
and they're all kind of cracking jokes with yeah. each other. It was kind of, it was nice to hear. It was it's almost not to be morbid, but it's, it's like they're rallying before the, the death yeah, of the band. Right. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't the yeah. death, but you know, the, the death of the band as we knew right. it in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And for a while for, you know, it wasn't the death forever, but it was for a while, you know, it stuck mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah, it's they're they're definitely. We were talking about this when we were kind of covering the Adore era and just watching a lot of interviews with then just Darcy, Billy, and James, and how um, it was sort of like it felt like there was almost like a circling of the wagons where they were being extra nice to each other and like extra mm-hmm. protective of each other and defensive of each other and like complimentary of each other, almost like you know maybe when a marriage is is not going well you're gonna do mm-hmm. extra work to sort of um put not put up appearances but just yeah i don't know like try extra hard at the dinner party to like seem okay or something maybe i'm reading too much into it i don't know and it, i maybe not even put up appearances but just you know you're trying to put in the work to save right. the thing that you've had yeah right not appearances so much as like actual like leaning into whatever the real connection is, which there obviously is a great one. Cause this is like a seasoned, this is a seasoned ass band yeah. too at this point. Right. You know, I watched, I today, actually I watched um, a couple of interviews from 98 and I think you can start to see, you can start to, not to jump ahead too much, but you can start to see Darcy getting less and less, into whatever's happening Mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of the interviews with the three of them since jimmy wasn't there at the time were very much um billy and james contributing to the interview and then they would kind of like wave the microphone in darcy's face and she'd be like yeah ditto Uh (laughs) yeah there right i think that period of time too she was kind of wanting to get to some of the stuff they were doing on machina i think she wanted to play in a metal band or something. Mm-hmm. She was really getting into Pantera at that time. And Weren't we I all? Think, no, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it is a total flip. It's funny that you mentioned that Pat. Cause I, I totally forgot about like how morose those, that period of interviews were because yeah, it was a tough time. Uh, and then the contrast of seeing, hearing them on stage, mm-hmm. And like Darcy saying like, oh, this is animal from the Muppets, mm-hmm. you know, about <laughs> about J- uh, Jimmy, you know, and uh, complaining about James not dancing with her. Right. Uh, and James joking that he's been taking swing da- dancing lessons and that there'll be a swing. Uh, they'll do be doing swing music for the it's next. So, album. Yes. It's so funny hearing the because I, I remember that. like I remember listening to like a uh, live recording from 2000. And during the banter, looking back on these Pumpkins shows in their banter, you kind of, it kind of refreshes your memory of like what pop culture was at the time, you know, like, oh yeah, the whole oh, yeah. swing thing had happened in the late nineties. Then I was listening <laughs> to one, like, I just used to have a burned CD of a uh, Machina era show where James and Billy go off on this whole tangent about like being the real slim shady and stuff. Like it's just so <laughs> weird. It's like, you kind of think of the pumpkins in a vacuum, but then going back and hearing them bouncing off of the other stuff that was just kind of flying around pop culture is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Uh, Pat, were there any highlights for you 
uh, in these shows? Yeah, I mean, for me, the thing that struck me the most was hearing um, all these songs side by side, like hearing um, the way they perform. Okay, so we we've we've been in kind of gish mindset recently. We did a whole gish deep dive. Frank and I covered all the pre gish demos and stuff, and we talked like the evolution of I am one, which they opened all these shows with from the pre gish version. And we joked about the kind of like Billy's initial, the, the original version where he does the sort of see you like, it's a very like, <laughs> like, yeah. And sort of, there's not the kind of power behind it. Like just the like viciousness and power that is behind, um, it, not only I am one, but that they, that they infuse with their older stuff like later in their history is, is really cool. I, I'm all about the sort of snarling, most snarling version of, of Billy, um, which I think we're still in that that phase. But hearing like the way they perform um, Adore songs, Gish songs, and then early versions of Machina songs side by side they all sound like they in a way could be off the same album or they're they're it's not stripped down like acoustic but they're made up of the same core elements because you know Machina and and Adore and Gish are sound completely different but it's like the Mm -hmm. the frame the sort of core elements of the songs played this way was what really struck me i guess it was like at this point they had become a band with like a pretty expansive body of work and like pretty pronounced eras you know so to see them all kind of melded into the into a set was was what struck me the most yeah absolutely we'll talk about this when we get into uh machina but i think that there are certain songs off of machina that i I like i like um i don't love but i like and but i love them Mm -hmm. live Mm -hmm. and example of that is like blue skies bring tears actually really i actually do like that song a lot on the album 
I don't know. It's got a different uh, beat to it, and the it kind of sounds like The Cure's Prayers for Rain. A little bit because I was trying to put my my finger on it I was like there's a certain part of the song that really has this feeling and tone to it I was like what does this remind me of what does this mm -hmm. remind me of and then I, I figured it out I was like oh it kind of reminds me of the cures prayers for rain off of disintegration mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was listening to machina the album the other day which I hadn't done in a long time and I it occurred I had a similar thought not down to this song i don't think i don't remember which song i was listening to and which cure song it reminded me of but i, mm. it, I it struck me that this album at times does sound like really kind of lush textural moments from the cure like disintegration -y type stuff oh absolutely and i it's kind of funny because we covered that pre-gish stuff and it's like now that you have that hindsight you're like oh they were kind of this would be the last song because they're kind of returning mm -hmm. back to a little bit of the, that that those roots that mm -hmm. sound Yeah, that like glass in the ghost children pet we've talked about this when we saw billy uh do that solo show just something about that song live just really really speaks to me more i than agree yeah I, billy, i'll, I'll admit i never really um locked into the song to that song as like a favorite or something like you know some i think often i wouldn't listen to the whole thing if i was listening to the album but yes the seeing i mean we the, seeing that acoustic version with jeff was like it was awesome i mean it was like and i yeah. appreciated the song um i don't know i could really see the song for what it was also think that like um like wound like that one's not really my uh, favorite off of machina mm -hmm. 
uh, but live, I like it. You know, it, it has this like kind of U2. It's like probably the closest to U2 the Pumpkins probably ever got. <laughs> liked that they did i think at almost all the shows is they played la dolly vita which mm. is another i mean aside from starla i think is one of my other favorites off of pisces iscariot so crazy how Pisces Iscariot is such a it is an album but it's a b-sides album yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah just kind of what you were talking about how you hear all those influences like The Cure and and you know some of those the earlier albums you hear like the 70s influence like the psychedelic and um, almost jam bandy it's it's so interesting I think I was watching um, it might have been the same interview where Billy was talking about how people say, well, you're a rock band, you should play rock. And I think the thing, and I'll say it over and over again, probably, but uh, so let me know if I'm repeating myself. But the thing that I love about the Pumpkins is that they are a rock band, but it kind of showed me that just, you don't have to just play things the way that uh, society thinks that you have to play them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, they still called themselves a rock band after a door came out, even though people yeah. thought, what is this, you know, departure from your previous stuff? Mm-hmm. Or I think I grew, I kind of grew up in the era of like, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, but rock and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but, Define but yeah, rock I grew up, for us. I, <laughs> it's like new metal, right? Um, kind of, but it was a little bit after that, like the Nickelbacks and the, um, I don't know if Buck Cherry counts. Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged Sevenfold, that kind of, uh, not quite Creed, but, you know, Creed was sort of the grandfather of butt rock. My my husband always says, uh, came from some rock station he listened to growing up that would always say nothing but rock. And they called, because they always play that type of music, they called it butt butt rock. rock. That's really good, yeah. (laughs) And it's sort of the... um, like I always think about like if Kurt Cobain had lived like mm. what would he think about you know or how would his 
because I feel like it, the, that stuff, you know, no offense to anybody who's into it, but it is sort of like this trickle down of early 90s alternative music that's sort of, mm-hmm. it, 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 which I think kind of <laughs> like came from lack of inventiveness. You know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. locking into what yeah. worked and doing it over and over and over until it's sort of like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, it, it, and I don't want to talk shit or, you know, yuck anyone's yeah. yum, but there goes our audience. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, like Billy around a door era was talking about how the, coolest stuff that he thought was going on was like Wu-Tang and Missy Elliott and I think that's the Mm -hmm. right that's the right mindset to be in and now like younger people who are into the pumpkins it's like I feel like their influence is not like um oh I I really appreciate the pumpkin so I need to make rock music like uh, you know it's it's I think people appreciate in retrospect their willingness to be experimental and to to mm-hmm. kind of go to break new ground you know yeah i i learned a lot from learning their songs because they are so um well composed mm-hmm. um and i learned i would always learn a pumpkin song on guitar and i would learn something new where you know that's not the case for everybody and that's how i write songs i write songs they're very lyrics focused and i you know play my four chord riff and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's totally mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I, I think that's what I always appreciate about it was I would learn something every time I would listen or learn how to play a new pumpkin song. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell us a little bit about uh, more about your music. What, what's um, yeah. What kind of stuff do you make? Um, I, so I started playing in high school. Um, I, I, played piano primarily. And then I got my first guitar when I was 14, but I, it's, it's mostly acoustic, um, sort of ballady, I don't know, coffee house music. And as I've gotten older, it's sort of turned more into, uh, I don't know if folk punk is the right way, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if like the cheekiness of, uh, like the riot girl era, but mm-hmm. not, not that sound at all, right. like more folky. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. That's sort of what I like play. Kimye Dawson or something like that. What'd you say? Like a Kimye Dawson or something. Sure. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. Similar yeah. to that. Um, I, I I haven't played in a while because of COVID and other things. But once once things sort of calm down, I, I really want to get back to playing open mics. I just moved to a new city, so it'll be fun to. <laughs> go out and experience it again right yeah and in a way every city is kind of like a new city you know like we're like in terms of um shows and nightlife and stuff it'll everybody's kind of like you know coming coming to it fresh or it's it's been a while for everybody yeah i played i played a lot of coffee houses when i was like in in high school and then um you know more bars as i got older and then i got bogged down into a career and didn't have time. And now I'm kind of re-exploring. I left that career and I'm re-exploring my life. So I'm trying to decide, you know, which direction it's going to go in right now. It's podcasting, but that's the way to go. Yeah. That's the way. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone out there yeah. that you're the future, uh, the real money's in podcasting. Let me just put it that it's way. It's very true. It's, you know, the $15 that I've made in a year of podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you um, made $15. Whoa. 15 wow, whole that's dollars. That's a luxury for us. Yeah. But I get to split with my we, co-host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we've made a total of zero dollars in the year 
Uh, but we're going to try to change that with a Patreon soon. But um, it's a good idea. Did you notice a difference between the first and last show? Because we picked those for a reason. Uh, but was there anything about the 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 feeling and the tone of the first show versus the feeling and the tone of the last show? I think for me, it was almost a little eerie to hear the last show, mm-hmm. just to know that it was Darcy's last show with them ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, that was kind of, that's, that's always what's going through my mind. Cause I'll, I'll get into it a little later, but I, I was, you know, obsessed with Darcy growing mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, like listening to the last song of the last show and because when you start it, it's like at the tour, it, listening to it, it's like, okay, this is another moment in Pumpkin's history. They all happen to be there. but And then they've all got like, it, Darcy's the only member who hasn't left and come back too, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, you can listen to the, the, you can, you know, have a mournful feeling about like the last chicago show the last you know last show in in 2000 this last show but then you kind of know like but they they work it out and they're kind of back together now but yeah it's it's yeah it's still kind of an elephant in the room feeling her her absence for sure yeah i i i felt like that first show i i really liked that first show but it was a little bit sloppy um and when you hear that last show it Sounds I think they really tighten tight. up over time too. For it sure. definitely does. Absolutely, it just seems like they're more confident in these songs and stuff. And the set list changed a little bit here and there. Uh, interestingly enough, the San Diego show they only played seventeen songs as opposed to like the twenty whatever songs. Hmm. Uh, I don't know why that show was particularly short, but they cut out a lot of the songs. Like, uh, If There Is A God wasn't played there, With Every Light wasn't played there. They just, for some reason, did a very condensed set. Uh, but for the rest of the shows, they had like three, you know, two or three encores, and it pretty much stayed the mm-hmm. same. Um, but like, yeah, because it says on SP Codex and SPFC.org that the songs that were played at every show were the imploding voice known as Virex at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glass and the Ghost Children, Pug, Glasses Theme, Ava Adore, Speed Kills, Muzzles, Stand Inside Your Love, I Am One, Ca- Cash Car Star, La Dolly Vita, which La Dolly Vita hadn't been played since 91. That's crazy. That's crazy. And apparently at that last show, that was the last time they played it. I don't know if that's true or not because they, I think they played it since then. I don't know if that's been updated or not. But then uh, today, Dross, uh, or Dross, I don't know which way you say it. Uh, how do you say it, Karen? Uh, I've been saying Dross, but... <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, we keep calling it different ways. (laughs) Yeah.
Uh, Soma, Wound, and Zero were the ones that were played at all of them. And then at eight of the nine shows, it was if there was a if there is a god, Geek USA, because at one of the shows, Shiva was played after Geek USA. every light uh blue skies bring tears was not played at the 930 club club and um yeah and home was only played five times uh during the tour As I said before, 1979 was only played at the Phoenix Celebrity Theater. So, yeah, that's all the facts for the, <laughs> the, what I just threw out a lot of stuff. But I think that like that context of like them figuring it out as they're on tour for this very short tour. And then by the end, it just feels like they've got it figured out like that last show. I tried to listen. I listened to most of the New York show just because it was a soundboard recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh having that clean quality there was something about the boots there were some really good boots we got all these by the way off of archive.org we can find most pumpkin shows and other pumpkin goodies uh we found the snl stuff on there too um yeah it was really cool we got to we found all the snls and the the pumpkin snl and the zwan performance off of there yeah um but uh yeah it's just kind of interesting like i like the bootleg quality Mm -hmm the good bootleg quality of some of these shows. There's just something about it that sounds more rich, uh, richer and fuller than just like the direct line mm-hmm. it. I guess now is the time that we can talk about uh, the elephant in the room, if you will, uh, Darcy's exit. Mm-hmm. So uh, around September, I believe, is when rumors started to swirl. Spin.com had kind of gotten wind of it. And they did a really short like release on their website. And then Rolling Stone had a big write-up about it on that same day uh, about Darcy's exit. 
And that would that would be September 2nd, 1999 is when it started getting reported. And I think on September 9th, 1999 is when it was official. Um, so, Karen, uh, when we kind of reached out to you about coming on the pod and stuff, and we're talking about things that you could possibly, uh, topics that you could cover and uh, like maybe albums and stuff, uh, you had mentioned that you were a big Darcy fan and that you might want to talk about uh, Darcy's exit. What is it about Darcy that, yeah, what, what actually kind of resonated with you with Darcy? She just, I think at a time, you know, I mentioned, I, I grew up sort of during the, the early two thousands alt rock era. Mm-hmm. I, there, there was that real deep separation of girl rock bands and rock bands mm-hmm. or, you know, girl rock bands and guy rock bands. Right. Um, and it, it was really cool to see somebody in a band where she was just there and it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a statement or anything like that. It was just, mm-hmm. she was a woman playing in this band that I love so much. And she had this just real edgy, aloof, ethereal kind of style and quality that I loved about her. And she's honestly, she's, she's one of the reasons why I picked up guitar. Cause originally I wanted to play bass, but, um, somebody came along and said, well, why don't you learn a six string first and then you can play bass. And um, then I ended up not learning to play. Well, you know, I, I dabbled a little bit, but mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing too concrete. Um, and I, she just, um, I just, I loved her style. I spent, <laughs> this is, I tried to get my mom to take up a picture of it, but I spent the better part of, I don't know, my middle school years wearing a zero shirt and bright red lipstick because I, <laughs> loved I loved her I just thought she was so you know like the epitome of cool Mm -hmm. um and and she was always just really quiet and I I think that was something that made her very mysterious and interesting and you know I was like I want to you know I want to be her like I want to be in a band and I want to play bass or like I want to I want to be that girl that's in the band with all the guys and holds their own you know Um, and of course, you know, once I got into the pumpkins, she had already left, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) which is, I think a reason why it kept me from listening to Machina for such a long time, because I really held a grudge against, uh, (laughs) against Machina, um, for a while because, you know, I, I didn't, they were so tight lipped about what happened and. I didn't really understand what happened no matter how many times I tried to ask Jeeves it, you know, whatever we had mm-hmm. back then, but, um, <laughs> Alta Vista. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Wikipedia was around. Um, yeah. but it, yeah, she, she just really like her, her presence in the band just really touched something within me. And I was like, I, you know, I loved Billy and I loved everybody in the band, but her particular, I, I definitely, um, I've, I really, she really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And her presence contribute. We've talked about, we talked about this on our very first episode about how the, cause you talk about like butt rock bands and even 10 years earlier, the sort of bands that influenced the butt rock thing, like the, the really good bands, like the other prominent rock bands of the time, um, 
or like really, really big ones were great. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all that stuff. But it was white dudes with long hair and fl- right. like across the board. And yeah. even as young boys, you know, like fr- Frank and I, I feel like we there was something about the fact that the 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 balance of sort of masculine and feminine energies we'll say mm. just to use sort of a woo woo like it, to, way of putting it like even obviously with Darcy being a woman who is in the band it's not there's not a big deal it's just a fa- you know she's she's in the band she's a she's a prominent presence in the band she's part of the band it's not a big deal it's not like you know called attention to but it's obvious but then even like James James's appearance and Billy's voice like in in the like there's something not there's something very aggressive and powerful but not machismo about the mm-hmm. band you know and and so the the sound coupled with the visuals of just seeing the characters in the band which was such a big part of it with the videos and the album art and all that stuff I think was like just to go off what you were saying about like it i think like darcy contributed to this general vibe of the band that felt kind of like inviting for sort of weirdos and misfits of all types without being um like macho you know Mm -hmm. especially coming off of the 80s where it was sort of the (laughs) the snake eating the tail of hyper masculinity (laughs) right yeah um you know, I, I do, I, you're so right. I think that's one of the other things that I love about it, where it was sort of it, that masculine feminine blend where it was like, I could have a crush on Billy Corgan, but also his voice. A lot of people thought he sounded like a chick when he sings, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I love that. That's, that's a really good way to put it. And it, I think it means something when you see someone like you in a position like that, when you normally don't see it. It has mm-hmm. power. And I think that um I think this is something that Billy actually talked about recently. I think today, as we're recording this, uh, when he talks about his NWA uh wrestling organization, about uh the women's wrestling, the Empower uh league kind of coming up, uh, and just talking about the importance of like how you have to meet up with the times and stuff. And even I I I was I was happy to see that uh, because sometimes you, you don't know, (laughs) you don't know where he kind of stands sometimes on issues like that. Uh, (laughs) I never know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's a little vague, but it was nice hearing that him say these things in this video uh, because you, you weren't sure after a while. And like, you know, you're, you're not wanting to fill a slot just to be like, well, we had a female bass player. So now we're going to have, you know, we're always going to have a woman playing bass, you know, you you don't want it to be tokenism. uh, But that, that, that element can be missing sometimes, you know, like of being like, well, what made you kind of special was kind of the makeup of the band. And when you lose a little bit of that, some of that goes away, but you know, bands evolve and that's his choice who he wants to have in the band and who he doesn't, you know? Well, and I, I also respect him a lot for, he did, I mean, they've had a, a few other prominent female bassists. I mean, I, y- yeah. y- y'all have followed them a lot more than I have in. Yeah. You know, Ginger the, and Nicole. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, with Melissa and Nicole, uh, but he's always tried 
I think he's always just tried to say, well, of course I'm going to pick Melissa to replace Darcy because she's the best, you know, or, mm, yeah. and I, and I, I appreciate that because it accomplishes two things. It accomplishes, you know, re- his, his need to replace a musician with an equally talented one. And also, like you said, that it's sort of a lack of tokenism. It's like, we didn't replace her because she's a woman. We, we replaced her with Melissa because we felt like she fit the best, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that, like, I, it, even though it's it sucks that there isn't officially a woman in the band, though we have, we've become friendly with a couple of women who are, like, very, basically in the, you know, Sierra yeah. and, mm-hmm. and Katie. Katie. And Linda. Yeah. And Linda is, is you know, on the, the visual side, the directing mm-hmm. art side. They're very much, like, in the camp. But the fact that... There is no official bass player in the band. There's Jack Bates who yeah. plays mm. with them, but I get you could kind of apply the same um, idea about not leaning on tokenism to the fact that that their bass player isn't a woman right now. Mm-hmm. I guess you know it kind of sure. it, you, you could look at it as the same thing. I guess. I also kind of feel like after, and I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but after everything that happened in 2018, where you know. Darcy could have gone with them, but Mm -hmm. she didn't or, you know, whatever that was, it, it feels right that there's not a female basis right now. (laughs) I don't know. It would feel like a cheap imitation or something, you know, not that it, not that it would necessarily be because it could have just been the right person, but I know it, you know, yeah. Um, well, what, we don't have to dwell on this part too much, but what, what did you think of that? Or did you read the the text messages and all that stuff that was released ar- around 2018? Of course Darcy? I did, I, because I, I'm <laughs> way too into it. Um, mm. I well, and you know they say don't meet your heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did some digging, and I'm not going to dwell on it too much because I don't think that it's representative of her as a person, of you know what she's been up to since leaving, and it's it makes me sad. Um, because I feel like she was kind of pushed out in a way. And um, I think she's been dealing with that in a, in a number of ways in her own way. And she's been fairly private, but I seeing it really made me sad to see some of the speculation on the part of the fans as to what happened or why she left or why she didn't come back to the tour. Because I always feel like the, the newer or the, the fan, some of the, the fans can be a little toxic as, mm-hmm. as, as with any no. fandom. Oh, right. What a surprise. <laughs> um, and it just, it made me really sad to see people say, well, she wasn't even that talented or, Oh, she's, you know, she was on drugs or whatever. And it, it's like, you don't know that you don't, what it sounds like to me is that she had some mental health issues and she needed to leave. And of course there was the whole movie career thing. Um, but I think, I think it's James. I, I recently rewatched Graceful Swans of Never, and he says something about, you know, she had to leave to save her life. And it's like, I don't know. She's been so private ever since then. I know she's, there's rumors that she was playing with another band recently, but um, that kind of does make sense to me because she seems like the type of person, she always seemed very, even though she was kind of that like bulldog personality, she seemed very, 
I think introverted or that I think that's what contributed to that sort of aloof ethereal thing that I had with her. Um, and I, I don't know, the whole thing just makes me sad, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but I think, I think ultimately I, there are some things had she stuck around with the band where she's, were they all still together now, the four of them, I don't know if it would be the same energy. I don't know if they would even still be here. You know, I, I think, I think the evolution of what is the smashing pumpkins and, you know, all of Billy's other projects and pumpkins adjacent projects have really come from that sort of, uh, Phoenix rising from the ashes sort of idea where, mm-hmm. you know, it, he kind of had to burn it all down to start it all over. And, and right. yeah. ultimately I think it, it was for the best, but, um, you know, it still makes me sad and it's still, it's, I still love to go back and look at all their, you know, their interviews together and their SNL performances and their press tours and stuff and just say, Oh, what a, what a cool time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. She'll always be part of, you know, I think also on our very first episode, we kind of talked about like almost like the piece we've made as fans over the years uh, mm-hmm. with the lineup changes and the um, all that all the all that happened behind the scenes contributing to that and how it's sort of like she is neither erased from the history. She's, she's like firmly holds her place in the band's history you can hear through her playing and her singing and her image and stuff but it's also okay that she's not you know like you can still be into the band and focus on what they're doing now and appreciate the old stuff without her being there you know i think that's one of the things about billy that i've always liked too where he's like well if you want the smashing pumpkins back, you have to accept them as they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's just him and some, um, you know, some of his good friends that he's hired to, to go on tour or, you know, and sometimes it's a lot of new people. And, and if you don't accept that, then, you know, maybe the new stuff isn't for you and that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's all fine. It's all fine. That's definitely (laughs) something we've realized doing this is just having more of appreciation for, what the band is mm. that maybe we couldn't see at the time. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't see it. They just kind of see a snapshot of Siamese dream or melancholy. And they don't really see like the whole point of the band of like that exploration that Billy likes to take and how he re kind of reboots or recreates the band given his creative whim, you know, and that it's more of a, the Smashing Pumpkins is more of an idea a project than say, you know, a set band, right? Nirvana or whatever, you know? Right. And I, I think a lot of times I ponder about how close it came to being that where, you know, they talk about what a rough time it was recording Siamese dream and how close Billy came to just giving up. And I think Mm -hmm. about that and I think about how, what a different world we would live in if that were a thing that he had, you know, that he had done. And I, I've, I really, I, I almost see them. I don't want to make a comparison. That's not what it is, but I almost see them as sort of the the antithesis to that idea of, you know, bands like Nirvana where they burn so bright and they burn Mm -hmm. out 
where Mm -hmm. he sort of said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to choose to, to continue going and to, Mm -hmm. to do the work and, and build that longevity. Totally. It's, there was almost like a, this, um, sexiness around like, um, suicidality or something or, or, you Mm -hmm. know, like in terms of bands, like the 27 club and all that stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. Which is weird, you know, but like the, I've never been a big fan of the, like, you know, poster of like Kurt Cobain and Janice and Jimmy all jamming together (laughs) in heaven. It's like it is now that when you get a little older and you have a few years under your belt and also for just for whatever it's worth with the whole Darcy thing, and just the lineup and all the, the tumultuousness and good times and bad times. When you get a little older and you're a creative person who's collaborated with people, mm-hmm. not all collaborations work. Yeah. Not all of them last. Right. Not all. Some of them have their window and then things you just can't do it anymore. But um, anyway, yeah, I feel like to your point, Billy has he's in a way that maybe seems a little less sexy in the 90s than like fuck it we're all gonna die anyway he was always mm-hmm. a little business like about like no i have the i care about this band i care about its survival and i care about us being like very good and kind of on top of of the world as much as we can be which i've grown to respect a lot more because you know um Kurt Cobain cared about his band too, you know. Things just didn't go well. Like, th- like he he wanted to be good too. He wanted right. the, the band to do well. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I I just feel like that that the culture was so weird back then. It was so <laughs> appealing and so cool, but and this band was so appealing. But looking at it now, it's it, I have a lot of respect for the um, tenacity and just desire to to go the the long haul yeah yeah absolutely um all right well we actually have been uh gifted through one of our listeners a firsthand account of one night on this tour in pittsburgh um this is listener mike schiavone schiavone i apologize if i've effed up your name but frank is going to read what he sent us now So Mike says, I saw the pumpkins on that tour in Pittsburgh. It was really cool venue, not big by any stretch. It definitely qualified as intimate compared to the stadium or amphitheater venues the band played at that point. Tickets were ridiculously hard to get, but my friend Regis's father was uh, was an oil executive and pulled some strings to get us. <laughs> I in. picture this as being Regis Philbin. That is, yeah, it's Regis. <laughs> That's exactly. We right. gotta go see the yeah. pumpkins. There's only <laughs> one Regis, right? The big hit, Billy. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were friends, though, right? He yeah, was on um, Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my hey, gosh. An, uh, an oil executive uh, pal must be nice. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he says, he continues to say, the show was absolutely incredible. The pumpkins at their absolute best. Live recordings can be found online, and they're so good. We agree. 
Uh, anyway, Billy and Darcy had an argument between songs. I believe this was during Dross. Um, you could hear it on the um, on the recording. You can listen to it. Surprise, this. surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Billy yeah. and Darcy had an argument. <laughs> right. Uh, Billy made a comment about Darcy's mistake being unprofessional. She responded with some snide remarks about how, as rock stars, professionalism was so important. <laughs> the exchange was dripping with disdain. And if you listen to that section, I believe it's uh, between... I think it's Blue Skies Bring Tears and Dross, or during Dross, they mess up and they have to restart, and it's uh, after that that they have this uh, back and forth. But if you look up the show, you can find this uh, exchange. Um, Regis and I left during the finale to beat the rush. We were at the very front against the barrier right in front of Billy. It took us some effort to get out of the club. We wanted to position ourselves near the backstage exit to maybe snag an autograph or just meet the band. But there was already a giant crowd that had the same idea. So we ended up milling around by one or two tour buses. We're standing there and I happened to glance up to see fucking Darcy hanging out of one of the tour bus windows. My heart stopped. She was actually talking to me and Regis while we were, while they're, pardon Still me. picturing Regis Philbin. Yeah, no. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's Darcy. <laughs> He meets celebrities all the time. He interviews them. <laughs> why, why is he so starstruck? <laughs> she was actually talking to me and Regis while there was this throng of people waiting for the band to emerge. And then she came out of the tour bus. The door and window she was hanging out of faced away from the crowd by the stage door so no one saw. She came out followed by a refrigerator-shaped man that hovered <laughs> nearby. It must be the bodyguard. Um... She was so freaking nice and gracious about my undoubtedly off-putting gushing and gratitude I expressed. I asked her about the new album if there was one. I don't think anyone knew that there were what the next album would be. She told us that it would it, she told us that it was recorded, but and this you're not going to believe me. She told us right then and there that she was quitting the band. <gasps> she was done. The fight on stage that night was the final straw. Uh, I hastily asked for an autograph on a flyer I luckily had in my pocket and a Sharpie I brought with me just in case. Then someone from the crowd noticed she was outside and the people migrated over. She said goodbye and thanked us for talking and got back on the bus. I still can't believe that happened and that Regis and I might have been two of the first people to hear from Darcy herself that she was quitting. She was so cool and down to earth. So Mike... Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, that's so interesting because that Pittsburgh show was like kind of towards the middle, right? Yeah, it wasn't the it wasn't yeah it wasn't among the last. I got goosebumps when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> it, we when we were reading it, we were like, "Holy crap!" And I immediately asked him, Mike. I was like, "Can we use this for the show?" Uh, and he graciously said yes. Uh, and we apologize for <laughs> making fun of your friend Regis. <laughs> Uh, but, we just got yeah, the right. scoop early on. Right. Yeah. He's he's a true, can you believe it? She's leaving the party. He's always been a great broadcaster, you know, and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. so not surprising. Wow, big, big news. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty amazing to hear that that happened mid-tour. Mm -hmm. I, I almost wonder if she knew for a long time that it was coming, but she just. I think so. Mm -hmm held on to it because I've done that where you're committed to something and you hold on to it for whether it be a job or a relationship or whatever sure. you know yeah and this is kind of both this is like a, yeah. a large large scale 
version of both of those things you know it's like interpersonal relationships and business and your your art and your craft and and your money all rolled into one like yeah it's, it's got to be yeah it's, it's your whole it's, life yeah it's yeah. not something that yeah it's probably i'm sure it's not a decision she just thought of that day that's and that's interesting it must have been and i like that james had said that you know like she had to for her health because i i don't want to speculate we've heard stories personally of like reasons why or whatever and and i don't like speculation and i don't kind of like secondhand news especially with something that we have no fucking clue about right and i like that james said that because it it does give a context of being like it's it's i find the decision interesting because they already knew that that was going to be their last album as the band Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was something that they already knew that going in machina was going to be it they were going to pack it up and be done with it right except for the fact when they recorded untitled after the fact and then (laughs) billy went to james and was like hey uh i got another album in me do you want to do it and james was like no we're done yeah um so it's interesting to me knowing that they had they were almost done with recording or they were in the middle of recording or about to start recording and they knew it was their last album and even then when there was an end point her being like i can't tour anymore i can't be a part of this anymore i have to get out Mm -hmm. i almost i know that her relationship with billy was always kind of uh they always kind of butted heads and i almost feel like there was something that she said in the she did that 2018 interview with alternative nation mm-hmm. where she was like, I just couldn't, I couldn't take the, I forget what she said. It was like, I couldn't take the smugness anymore. Like she said, she cited some incident where they were in a car with someone and she and that person were talking about how much they liked Mozart. And then Billy was like, well, yeah, I've, you know, I've been getting into Mozart lately. He's pretty good. And she was like, did you just validate Mozart? (laughs) 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 But I don't know. I like, it it really seems like their relationship, a door and post a door was like extra strained for for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to go through, Yeah, you know, with all everything, uh, you know, with the, the drama that happened with, drama that's putting it lightly but you know what i mean with melvoin's passing and jimmy having to get kicked out of the band and then the grueling process of recording a door but then like her because with melancholy and adored they were more part of that process than in the past Mm -hmm. right right so even that being more taxing you know yeah yeah and the melancholy like just the fact melancholy was like yes it was one out not i mean it was one huge album but it was like such a massive tour like when we talked we talked to um melissa joan hart who was on the conan late night show with the pumpkins back in i loved that episode it was great yeah we talked (laughs) it was yeah it was awesome we talked they hung out afterwards we talked all about it um but the the way darcy is talking in that because they were i think it was like it was 97 they played muzzle so it was like nearing Mm -hmm. the end of the cycle of the huge like melancholy era, um, which included Jimmy was gone. They, you know, there's been death. There's been like grueling. And she was talking about like Conan asked like, well, what are you guys going to do now? Are you going to take a break? And, and Darcy was sort of like, yeah, you'd think we would, you know, like if, if we were going to, but then it turns out we're going to 
record another album and it was only supposed to be this much time but now it's actually that like it was just it Mm -hmm. seems like everybody needed some time but the machine was just moving Mm. no pun intended like it was just like the train like it was was just going too fast to to stop yeah and i i totally understand that as an artist because the more opportunities come your way the more you just you're afraid to turn them down because Mm -hmm. you're you never want to go back to the point of I don't know what it would be like for a band. You don't, you don't want to go back to yeah. to waiting tables as an actor or whatever, you know, waiting tables <laughs> and auditioning or, or whatever, because you're afraid that the success is going to stop. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for some, for, I mean, at some point you have to take a break and especially if you're in it with other people, you have to consider their mental health as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Man, this has been great. Uh, I, I've had a lot of fun talking about this. Any last uh, thoughts about, the shows that we covered or about Darcy in general. I just hope that she is living her best life on her horse farm and that everything's going well for her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah. too. We love her. Um, she's, yeah, yeah. She's burned, burned into our hearts forever. As cheesy as that sounds, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Pat, any final thoughts? Uh, just that I, I still love this band. I feel like we taught we like it's nice to be able to sit and ch- and connect with people about why th- they love the band and find out that it's for similar reasons and that you were because I think it could be a very um solitary experience kind of like getting into this band you know depending yeah. on where especially outside of the their like intense fame you know mm-hmm. um but yeah, I feel like we like we all kind of have things in common about what we um, love about the band, and Darcy is is one of them. So yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting snapshot this era, especially this tour in general, just like where they were and where they're going, and the fact that it is marked by such a big event of her exiting the band, and also like the dropping of the Zero persona. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he even says in the song Zero during this tour, "I was your Zero." Yeah, very good call. Interesting. Yeah, and it's just it's just so interesting that the the changing of the tide. There was it's just it felt it was a changing of the tide, but it def it turned into kind of like a little bit of a tsunami, you know? Right. Um, right. But it, it's it's a very interesting, and I know that he kind of doesn't love this era, but as fans, it's just such an interesting snapshot. And if you have the opportunity to. You got the time. Uh, just go to archive.org. Uh, if you want, uh, if you can message us. We can even send you the links to those shows. But they're up there. Uh, they're worth checking out for sure, I think, even if it's just the first and last show. But there's some really great shows in between there uh, with some really great variations on the tracks. Oh, you know, so I would definitely recommend the Phoenix show. Yeah, that one's a really fun one. I really enjoyed that one. And uh, there was some other show that I was like, oh, this is a pretty good one. But yeah, the Phoenix one in particular. And if you want to hear board quality, uh, you can check out the New York show at Tramps. Uh, again, I think it's it feels a little thin to me having that board sound. But uh, check it out if you want to. Yeah, we, can, we can't stop you, you know. Hey, just do what you want. <laughs> well, Karen, where can people where can people find your stuff your podcast your your 
music, anything else you, that you're excited about that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I co-host Chicklet with my friend Aubrey. We um, share a, a drink and talk about our favorite books from uh, middle school and high school. And uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ChicletPod and gmail at chiclet.podcast.info at gmail.com. We love to take requests from people on what we should cover next. Um, we're currently covering the first book in the Twilight series, so it's been a slog. Uh, we're really looking forward to the next season. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's that. And then um, I do have a band camp. You can find me on there um, as well. Uh, but that's it's mostly where I just post silly covers and, and stuff that I've been working on. I have a few originals on there as well. Um, I, I do have a music video if you are a super detective and can find it. It's on YouTube somewhere out there, but I'm not going <laughs> to. It's a little cheesy. <laughs> it's right, from sleuths. like eight years ago. <laughs> you YouTube sleuths, get out there and find the vid. And, yes. some, and you'll win a prize. <laughs> I don't know what, but something. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me on to talk about this. It's a messy, it's a messy time, but I'm so glad that I got to talk about it with you. And and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. It was yeah, it was our pleasure. It's almost, I mean, this is maybe overstating it, but just in the world of our fandom of the band, it's almost like therapy or something to like talk yes. this stuff out. You know, like you, it it's, truly it's, is. You feel it. You're aware of it. You got to kind of unravel it at some point. You know? Yeah. At least if you run a podcast about the Smashing. <laughs> um, well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you to Karen for chatting with us. Um, thank you to Frank for, you know, being my um, my co-pilot as well as God. Um, <laughs> and you, we have a lot more stuff coming out the, uh, on the horizon. Yeah, We're not breaking Machina. up anytime soon. So, yeah, st stay tuned for Machina and beyond. Uh, and if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at the Smashing Pumpcast and cast is spelled K S T on Twitter at Pumpkins Podcast. Podcast is spelled normal there. And you can even email us. You can reach out to us. Uh, we had uh, Frank Ortega has been sending us a lot of great bootleg stuff that we really appreciate. So thank you, Frank, for doing that. Uh, but you can email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com and cast is spelled K-A-S-T. Yeah, and um, shout out to Faith Tyler as well for sharing um, a recording and some stories from the 1996 Buffalo show. I think she, she sussed out that I was a Buffalo boy and this was a show that I desperately wanted to go to. I was calling the radio station, the local 103.3 The Edge radio station to try to get tickets, but it didn't pan out. So, And it's an awesome, awesome show. So that's also on yeah. archive.org, I believe. It really messed with you, Pat. You turned into the Joker after that. Yeah, I know. I'm just sort of coming off of that Joker phase. <laughs> sort of getting my act together now. But um, anyway, thank you all so much for joining us. Much more to come. And until next time, we bid you farewell. And good night. Darcy, can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Reach. <laughs> <laughs>